Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to another episode of Endurance Chat. I'm Michael Zalavari, and joining me today is Oliver Trovis. Good evening, Oliver. Good afternoon. Oh, yes, because we're... No, it's not afternoon, is it? It's morning for oh, you. Oh, sorry, good morning. Ah, this is all... I'm all bent out of shape. <laughs> oh. um, just a few... Uh, a few admin things before we properly start. Uh, firstly, we have a YouTube channel now. Um, we will be posting our episodes up onto YouTube as well, just as still images. Uh, and we'll also be using it as a place to facilitate uh, facilitate some uh, sim racing commentary that uh, Kiwi and I have been doing for Automobilista Australia. Um, so you'll see that up on our YouTube channel, which is called Endurance Chat Media. And also, if we ever actually get around to producing some visual content... Uh, like some uh, lap previews or stuff like that, that's probably where it will end up as well. So keep an eye on that and subscribe to that if you want to do that. But we actually have some racing to talk about, finally, Ollie. Actual racing, or actual virtual racing, kind of, I guess. Uh, But we had the virtual 24 hours of Le Mans uh, two weeks ago now, which was the weekend of what should have been the actual Le Mans. Um, They ran something like 50 cars in R-Factor 2, a split between 25 LMP2 cars and 25 GT cars. And it actually went okay, didn't it? Yeah, like a lot of people say, you know, the the cars aren't real, but the racing is. And yeah, it's, uh, it's certainly exciting if you can get past the visual barrier. Yeah, I think they did really well with that kind of visual barrier because I've had people say they're not they're not that into sim racing and stuff, and they were getting in contact saying, "Hey, did you know this was on?" kind of thing. Yeah, um, it's really exciting, actually. Yeah, and and they were kind of having no background in sim racing or watching sim racing. They thought it was pretty good you know the 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 graph using the the official graphics package as well it added like an extra polish that kind of took you out of thinking it was a sim race yeah kind of, a little bit i i will 100 percent say that the fact that they used the full wec graphics package and you know had martin haven in there and the the production of the well, the the full production of the event, you know, having a, the Freitas and the real WEC team do the race control, uh, McNish doing interviews. I think that part of it made it feel a lot more real um, as compared to maybe, say, another sim race where it's only just, you know, the the graph, in-game graphics or the in-game uh, overlays that, you know, makes it feel like a bit of a video game. Because honestly, a lot of the... A lot of the proper sims nowadays are looking a little dated with their in-game graphics it kind of makes you feel like it's a video game but yeah honestly like even the the graphics and the stuff around the track made it look like it was Le Mans and I was actually watching I wasn't intently watching the the virtual Le Mans but I had it on one screen and uh the 2014 uh Le Mans next to it on another screen and the day-to-night transition was almost exactly the same. It was kind of uncanny, but over the uncanny valley, it looked real enough that I was convinced. So that was a pretty decent achievement. I'm pretty happy with, with how it looked, because it looked like a real thing. Yeah, it broke broke down those those barriers. And, and the same thing with a bit with audio. The audio wasn't quite there, mm. but the um, having the, the, the commentary team um, as well preserved was kind of countering over that and and also having the 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 officiating crew um eduardo freites like you mentioned it kind of validated 
that side of it taking taking you um into thinking it was real and yeah the graphics was really polished and the the whole day night transition unfortunately we didn't get to see rain um, yeah which r factor 2 can do which and that was kind of i think one of the reasons people were saying that it that game was chosen but we didn't get to see it um because i think it would have been a bit too much yeah the server i i think I, we'll talk about that later yeah we'll talk a little bit about that later but i recall hearing that in practice whenever they tried rain it basically broke the server each time so uh you make the best you can with what you got uh i will say that i was very impressed with the 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 tone of the production as well i think that's something that uh needs to be talked about extensively because it was as if they knew it wasn't the real thing, but they were willing to give it enough seriousness to, to fool us while also keeping that lighthearted edge. So, for example, having McNish, Christensen, and Capello uh, in a video call together through one of the, the safety car periods, just to sort of share some stories and have a bit of a banter, that was really, really good because it didn't detract from you know a real race um but it also was a nice thing to fill in some some slow time overnight as well um so i think they know the name of the tone i think that it 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 gave them like a bit of free reign as well Mm. to experiment with different things because they weren't kind of constrained to the rigid traditional setup like they could take some take some risks and you know do these live interviews and connect with all of these people it's kind of similar how you would have these pit lane interviews um with drivers and team managers and people like that but then the difference was you could then kind of spin away and do a 20 minute deep dive that you wouldn't do with a a pit lane interview yeah because it would kind of detract maybe but this it was kind of a bit of an additive Mm. um the, there were some kind of other detracting factors, like the concert, which was a bit jarring. Like, it was good, but I think it really was a hard cut away from the race, um, such that when it came back, or the race came back with the full screen view, it was like, ah, the weight had been yeah. over, you know? Um, well, they have a they, really... they have a proper co- uh, concert at Le Mans, don't they? They have like a on the is it near the Ferris wheel where they have like a full two hour pump and it's EDM next to the thing. The Dunlop Bridge. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, it's up up the hill by the Dunlop Bridge, and um, usually like the they don't put the, the headline act during the race. Usually, it's like Friday night. I yeah, think. okay. Um, and so it's kind of a bit like background noise i would describe it in the real race whereas here it was front and center taking yeah. up most of the screen so it was kind of a flip there um so i think that was maybe a bit too much but um having the connection with all of these past legends like who'd have thought this single broadcast would have all of these legends talking through everything uh, you know you wouldn't think that a sim race or a kind of thing that the computer um, game basically like if i told you if i told you 10 years ago that Um, we would be sitting down watching a computerized le mans and being excited about it and thinking it was a good time like you just wouldn't have believed it it would none of the none of that sort of big sim racing community that we have now would have would have been around back then so the 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 fact that you know esports and sim racing has come so far and they're, they're able to 
port an event like Le Mans, maybe not, you know, exactly to fully-fledged background like you see in maybe some other sim uh, esports like counter-strike or overwatch or league of legends or whatever but the fact that you know you can do this sort of thing and people will be interested in not only gamers and people who are on the electronic side of it but people who enjoy the motorsport side of it and the legends of motorsport are going to be in it as well and it gives the full treatment like that's that's phenomenal and the fact that they actually managed to get it to work was actually pretty good i was pretty impressed i had no expectations but in the end i was pretty impressed yeah and and like i mentioned before you know it was connecting people that didn't necessarily have that much interest in WEC. They might dabble with 24 Hours of Le Mans, let's say. And I have people, I knew of people that attend, older audience that attend Le Mans, that have attended Le Mans and have nothing whatsoever to do with sim racing. And they tuned in and were also impressed because it's kind of bringing lots of different genres together that wouldn't normally kind of connect. And the same thing with sponsors. Mm. I've heard about sponsors that have joined this that wouldn't normally or that have this was this gave the, an opportunity for new sponsors to join and new partners to join and it's kind of like a little extra bit of growth that wasn't expected yeah um during this time of year and on top of that as well not just new sponsors and new businesses but new drivers as well i think the, the fact that you had half a field essentially of professional established real world drivers and half a field of professional established sim racers was a interesting and in the end quite quite well executed uh way to set up the entry list because it meant that you had people who were who had backgrounds in sim racing who had followings in sim racing bringing again the sim racing fans to the to the event and then the people like the big high profile names like Charles Leclerc or Lando Norris or Max Verstappen bringing in their own fans and bringing not just uh fans of their sim racing but fans of F1 and fans of uh other motorsport you know fans of Dakar and uh people from all around the world to watch these guys do what they do best which is which is drive a car maybe not a a real race car but yeah they were driving a car um so that was really really cool and even like having the likes of jimmy broadbent feature in the race as well uh, again to bring in more of that sim racing uh fanship it was like a nice little connecting and overlapping of worlds not just in racing but in yeah in esports as well so yeah it was actually quite well executed i was i was very skeptical about the the mix of the pros and the sim racers because in the end the sim racers were just better uh, we're, get, we're, we're gonna get that out of the way right now like the sim racers the people who were doing it who do sim racing for a living were actually better than the professional race drivers um how do you feel about that it does feel weird like yeah <laughs> so i i don't have that much um I I don't I don't want to say I don't have much interest in sim racing, but I don't follow it that much. So mm. the names weren't that obvious. They didn't stick out to me unless they were some of the the top front runners that I maybe watched, like the Formula One pro esports kind of connection, where there were the the Williams team and whatever. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think there is a niche for it. I think it was nice to have them with the real life teams and real life cars. And there were even 
full entries that were just transplanted from mm. the FIA World Endurance Championship and just dropped in the game. Like even pro am entries in P two, they just took the even the amateur driver. So you've got like the they were saying the the pro IRL real life drivers, they were the AMs in the sim race, but then you've got the amateur pro amateur real life drivers in the sim as well. So that's yeah. like another level um of removedness from the real world they were taking it. But um I think it was cool to see the real life teams even like copying the same liveries across. I think that was pretty cool to kind of connect the real world and the sim world. And then you had like for example the rebellion team that were going the extra level and even doing historic liveries from their past seeing as, you know, this will be the last year of their operations or their last season of real-life operations. They were kind of doing a tribute to previous entries with the the gold Lola, um, the red and gold and white Lola livery, but then obviously having to mix with the Williams um, at the back. Yeah, I think think it was good to see the, the connection with the pro sim races i wasn't really up to speed with who they were but you know i'm only speaking from my point of view and they're going to be people who are really 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 into sim racing who have a massive connection with these people and maybe not so much with the real Mm. world racing drivers and have it completely flipped the other way the other way around i think having the real world drivers made me have a connection with the cars and make me feel like it was a real race. Kind yeah. Of thing. It, it, Whereas... adds, it, it adds a tens- tendency of legitimacy to the event. You know, the fact yeah. that you've got, you know, recognizable teams, recognizable drivers, people that you're already used to seeing racing these cars in these liveries in this environment, but now just poured it over to a virtual sense. It made it feel a bit more, real than compared to say a the iRace in 24 hours lawn which is all esport teams for me it's a a sort of connection of a human is driving that car yeah if it's a name that i've never heard of i can't really connect to it and it's as if it's like now this is pretty maybe pretty rude but it's like as if a random name generator has pumped <laughs> a name onto an ai car like yeah and an AI is dri- like a really advanced AI is driving that car. It's kind of like Robo Race. Yeah, you know? it's just it's just the thing moving around the track. Whereas if I know that there is a connection between a, a, a name that I know, their wheel in their bedroom or living room or whatever, or bicycle room and, apparently. <laughs> yeah, and and they have that then controlling the the car in the game. It's like another human connection that my brain makes and i can't really describe it but it it feels more on the real side whereas if it's a name that i've never heard of it just feels disconnected a bit more and a bit more on the virtual than on the real world kind of thing and it's like this kind of weird spectrum where the pro drivers are maybe to admit more for me towards the believable yeah, side. I think I think that's fair enough, and I I share that same sentiment. I'll I'd fully one hundred percent admit that until someone asked me on the Monday whether or not we were doing a race thread for it, I was completely going to ignore it. It was only when someone said, "Are we going to do a race thread?" that I was like, "Okay, I should probably actually 
figure something out so that way people can watch this event and i can facilitate this for for people watching the event um and as i said i had no expectations going into it because i don't really follow sim racing i mean i follow sim racing uh in a local sense with the stuff that i do the commentary stuff that i do for series with that through people that i've met through here um you know, for Automobilista Australia and that sort of stuff. But, you know, beyond that, I don't really care. So the fact that, you know, again, someone like you or me who cares about real racing, not really about sims, was able to sit here, sit there and enjoy that event uh, and, you know, feel like it was a adequate uh, substitution was actually a pretty good thing. Um, I do want to just backtrack a little bit. The note that you touched on about uh, the pro drivers feeling like an AM class when compared to the the pro sim races that that's actually a really really interesting point um you could definitely see some teams that had people who had experience in sim races before like for example we talked about lando norris and max verstappen charles leclerc those sort of guys who have experience they they really were a step above what we would have expected um when compared to the pure out and out sim races um and i think the team that ended up winning uh which was the rebellion racing uh rebellion williams sorry the number one team which had their pro drivers were their real life drivers of Raffaele Marchiello and Louis Delatraz. Uh, but yeah, it was it, you could clearly see though that uh, Delatraz and Marchiello had put in a few hours in the sim because they were almost on pace with the sim racing counterparts um, who were both Polish. So I'm not even going to try to attempt to say their names because I'm not going to. I don't want to embarrass myself that much. Um, but as you said earlier, when the racing might not be real, but the competition is. Sorry, the cars might not be real, but the racing is. And there was actually some quite enjoyable racing throughout the event. I think GTE was typically what we expected from GTE. You know, there was nose-to-tail battles of 10 to 15 cars for hours on end. Um, there was a great battle at the top of the field between a few of the names that we would have expected in WEC competition. You know, talking about Toyota Gazoo Racing, talking uh, Rebellion and actually by collars by collars for a most most of the race were dominating the event um so there was actually a decent exhibition of racing as well which again i think helped legitimize that although in some instances there were some very very high profile uh failures or uh incidents which made you adamantly aware that it was a sim race and i think the fir- the biggest one that people were talking about were the red flags the two red flags that we had over uh, i think one was at about six hours into the race the other one was with about four hours remaining um for yep. server resets now yeah how do you feel how did you feel about that because of all things a, a problem with the game having a red flag for a problem with the game would be the last thing the organizers the teams and the race like the the game uh developers would want in that sort of setting yeah it it they kind of tried to justify it and i do agree with how they justified it in terms of the commentary of saying it's kind of like having just the same as a barrier repair yeah. or something like that a safety car you, for debris or something yeah and you have uh, a out of the ordinary issue with the circuit 
um, that you need to fix. You know, we had, what was it the Dubai 24, where the whole track was flooded <laughs> and things like yeah. that. And it or, was, what, only like seven hours long? Yeah, or um, even at Le Mans, where they had the great kick-up at the exit of Tête Rouge last year, and yes, they spent exactly. a, an hour and a half, yeah, welding that back down. And then it need, and then the, the the cement or something that needed to set. So there was always a slow zone there for for hours and hours and hours. Yeah, um, yeah, it's kind of like that, and it and it does mirror real world racing, but having no justification for it. Like if there's a barrier repair, you can see a mm. replay of that car hitting the barrier, and then that barrier deforming and needing. There's like a justification. Whereas if you see even without a car blinking. And they get like a warning on their servers saying there's something wrong that we need to fix it. As a viewer, you watch the cars circulating, you have some battles, and then suddenly Freitas comes on the, the radio saying the circuit is red, the, the race is red flagged. Mm. It was kind of a, a bit jarring. And, um, but on the other hand, it's better that way than having what happened to the red line racing. Uh, car with Max Verstappen on board at the time where they were blinking and lagging and eventually crashed um, yeah. they were they were given their, their opportunity to get back in the race but they uh, unfortunately rage quit um, <laughs> just a little it was it was unfortunate in those instances that the the like game glitchy sort of things the the you know blinking around uh, I think Alonso had uh, a gl- a glitch or like a coding glitch where um he got a drive through on the lap that he had to pit for fuel and so it wouldn't let him refuel the car um so yeah he, he had no fuel to go around and do another lap and then uh i think there was also problems with the uh charles leclerc gt ferrari that ended up on its roof for some netcode reason it was unfortunate that those incidents uh, those uh little things happened to the high profile uh, high profile entrance because otherwise the, the game ran besides those two red flags pretty well flawless in the end yeah there's a big, there was a lot of there was a lot of load a yeah. lot of people connecting on lots of cars uh, lots of you know each car what had four four drivers four, yeah four drivers so there were loads of connections to the server um all at the same time so yeah it did pretty well and like we we mentioned earlier with the connecting to the real world kind of red flags you have the kind of similar things as well with each driver's like sim rigs as well you know it doesn't necessarily fate or luck doesn't necessarily you know affect only the worse uh, on paper drivers yeah. you know you you mentioned the the famous names having problems you know there are mechanical problems that happen to everyone, you know, even if you're leading Le Mans after 23 hours and 46 minutes, you can still break down, you know? Um, every time, every break. every episode, we got to reference that. It's a rule. Well, I mean, it, you know, <laughs> it, it's law. Um, and it, the same thing happened, you know, you'd think, oh, Team Penske in America, they are, you know, the best at crossing every T, dotting every I, you know, preparation. And there was still a sim rig failure with uh, Simon Pagano's um, stint. So he had to have, uh, he borrowed a sim rig from a friend, had it next to his current one, unplugged his that broke, did a hot swap of changing the seat around, brought the second seat in with the wheel, connected it up, limped back to the pits, 
just like you might have, you know, some sort of failure in the real world, it happens in the sim race, sim racing as well. Um, you can tell he's a Penske driver, or you can tell that he's worked with Penske, because who the hell would think to have an entire rig set up ready to go just in case something goes wrong? Like that's it's as if it was scripted. Yeah, exactly right. Actually, actually, now that you've said that, that does sound a oh, little fishy. There is eight ball. Wasn't he? Wasn't he also on camera at the time as well? Yes, um, he had a face cam that was live, and they were trying to. They were they were showing like he was stopped by the side of the road, and then oh, okay, he was kind yeah. of playing around with his wheel and trying to work it out, and then decided to do the the rig swap. And yeah, it, the same thing happened with um, Robert Wickens. You know, they, he had a really complex hand control setup yeah. because of his injuries. And yeah, there's it's more difficult to get that kind of setup right because it's a bit more tricky and uh, unique and bespoke. But you know, there are still these sorts of mechanical issues where he was driving one-handed because he had his right arm on a brake lever, kind of like Zanardi did yes. um, at Daytona. And um, there, there was a setting for the kind of it, the force feedback, strength, right? Yeah. yeah, the strength of the wheel, as it were. And he was on max setting, just trying to wrestle. And he was doing loads of stints just back to back to back because they screwed up his the the management of the team, and he was just doing yes of drive time. Um, but yeah, these these things happen in the sim world, and they they happen in the real world too. You know, There's, let's not forget there are mechanical issues that that come out of nowhere on these cars. There are you know drive time calculation issues that happen. Um, especially in ACO or, or mm. sports cars and endurance racing, where you've got multiple drivers, you've got to balance the drive time. You know, it's not like this is only a sim racing problem, as it were. That is, it is the same. Uh, you know, we yeah. can't use it as a we can't use it as a slight on sim racing. Yeah, because it's, it's it analogous to the, the real world. Yeah, it's analogous to the real world. Although, to to call back to the point you made earlier about it. Uh, you know, having that justification uh, for, say, the red flags. You know, if you've got barrier pairs, you can see it happening and you've got to wait for it to be fully repaired before you can go again. It does feel a little weird. I feel a little, like, off that, you know, there's a, a problem not necessarily with your equipment or your connection, but the game's connection to you or something like that. It just does make it feel just a little unjust. Um, whereas, there's an expectation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and sometimes that expectation wasn't met. But again, for the most part, it was met. It was just that the people that that fans were coming to watch were the ones that all had the problems. <laughs> it was funny that, wasn't it? It was it was Leclerc, it was Verstappen and it was Lando Norris and Jimmy Broadbent, you know, four of the the big names that people were planning to watch and expecting to do well that were the ones that had major problems and Alonso as well. Uh and let's not forget as well the fact that you mentioned before about the team redline being allowed back into the race. Alonso as well was allowed back into the race after his car was stopped on track. Alonso's team will clarify yeah um, thank you <laughs> and they gave back a 60 lap disadvantage or something like that because you know but when they reset the server they were like okay the game's restarted you can come back in and resume as if you were a part of the race uh so what do you what do you think about the handling of that uh that aspect of it so they they um had a 
a call, a video call with Rubens Barrichello, who was also driving that car. Yeah. Uh, well, he didn't drive that car at the time, and he'd done all the prep, um, practice, putting in the laps, doing testing, that sort of thing, and he was just pleading, just crying to the to Freitas, just like the real world, I guess, um, for a break. Just please let me drive, because you know it's kind of a bit unfair mm. um, when you look at it in that aspect. Um, but then. Yeah, it won't it won't work in the real world. Getting that, getting given sixty laps, like sure, if they were towed to the pits and then they spent hours repairing the car just to limp home, as it were, because the the whole spirit of it is finishing yeah. and getting to the finish, and they were given the opportunity to be put on a flatbed truck, as it were, and then taken back to the pits, like you might see in some series that allow it. Not in Le Mans, um, though. Nope. Uh, famously and yeah they it's as if they found a jerry can (laughs) by the side of the road hidden under a bush but also you can't you can't find a 60 lap freebie in a tree like by the side of the track to 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 try and mirror it to the real world that's the kind of thing that took it a bit out I guess they didn't. They weren't competitive anyway, and it didn't matter. Yeah, but I think that is the more important point: the fact that it it didn't it didn't matter. If it had mattered, they probably wouldn't have done it. But the fact that the the tone of the event wasn't, you know, this is super serious, and we're competing for the world's biggest motor race, but this is a semi serious, but more importantly, time and event filler that we're doing in a professional way to sort of fill the gap. Um, what was that? I was talking about the V8 Supercars E-Series in the same way, and then uh, someone said that that was a very mature take, so I'm going to go back and find that, because I am proud of that. Um, Brag about it. I know. I, I, I mean, I'm running, I'm hosting this podcast, so it was it was a, a, a bit of fun with... A, a bit of fun professionally set out with a finish line to fill the void of the event that should have been there. So I, I think in that situation where it is at the end of the day meant to be, you know, a bit of fun to fill a, a fill an event slot, they allow, you know, allowing a 60 lap deficit for one of the, the teams that is going to be the most popular team uh, is not, not necessarily justified, but, you know, okay um, in that sense. Because again, they did the same thing with the Redline uh, Sport. They gave the offer to uh, that team to come back in after the second red flag. But, but, but of course, by then, Verstappen and, Lan- and Norris had uninstalled the game. So, you yeah, know. They, I, think it, I think it's kind of handing out an olive branch to some of the biggest fan bases as yeah. well. Um, having experienced Alonso's first race at Le Mans in real life, uh, having shared the grandstands with all of the masses of Spanish people who didn't really know what Le Mans was about but just turned up because Alonso was there kind of thing. There is a massive draw and the same thing would happen with Charles Leclerc and the same thing would happen with Lando Norris's massive fan base and Max Verstappen as well. And, you know, having them still just, even if they're turning laps, will get people clicking. It will get people watching and it will get people looking at sponsors and it will the 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 analytics up that's i think you know perfectly fine in the end um so yeah had it 
I think that caused a little bit of controversy because, you know, as, men, as many as there are Alonso lovers who will tune in just for Alonso, there is a, also a significant portion who would just want to tear, tear someone like that down. And we, we've seen it on WEC stuff as well. You know, whenever there is any mistake with that Toyota car when he was running it, it was like, oh, Alonso, why is he even here, et cetera, et cetera. Um, because people just can't have nice things is the, is the thing at the end of it. Um, yeah, but I think you know you're exactly right uh there there was a commercial argument for uh, allowing that car back in as well which yeah as i said an event like this is perfectly fine there's one thing that i kind of wanted to ask a question to you about yep was uh, with relation to the broadcasting and how it was presented on youtube for free and the viewership was massive in terms of them um Broad uh, in, in sharing the the analytics and the viewership numbers and the engagement of the fans and how this was a massive event with loads of people clicking and everything, but then the real product is the one that's behind the paywall. Now I completely respect the the paywall kind of model, but what wasn't one of the justifications of using the paywall get, having better analytics than what you could get on YouTube? So it kind of is a bit of a weird yeah. um, statement. So what, what did you think about like the accessibility of the virtual 24 hours of Le Mans compared to a real 24 hours of Le Mans that's kind of hidden from public view? Okay, so I think I'll talk about the virtual one first. I think they did a lot of effort into pushing the event as something that would get a lot of eyes and you, you know getting the the professional drivers involved the big sim racers involved the guys like Verstappen Norris and Leclerc and then also offering it free on YouTube offering it free on Twitch as well so putting it basically in the market that they were trying to access and then as well free on Facebook I think they did a, a very good job marketing the event uh, and getting people on board to watch it now the difference between the virtual Le Mans, I think, and the real Le Mans is the real Le Mans is enough of an event, enough of a draw card on its own that people will pay to watch it regardless, right? I like if you and me, me definitely, I would, worth it. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't have paid, I wouldn't have paid to watch that. Uh, simply because, I, as I said at the top of the show, I'm not generally interested. So offering that to me for free, or if they had included it in the WC package, I probably would have tuned in anyway. Now, for the people who would have wanted to see these big names um, for a one-off event, I don't think you can justify trying to get people to pay for it if it is just going to be a one-off sort of thing, which we'll talk about a little later. It might end up being a one-off thing. So... I think, though, to retain them as a as a counterpoint, just just as a devil's advocate, do you think to retain those new fans that might have caught a little bit of a taste for endurance racing and the World Endurance Championship, do you not think, though, that it would be better to a better way to retain them to then retain that model um, to make it easier for people to access the race for it to then grow its viewership um that's an extremely difficult question um i (laughs) i don't know the marketing situation or the business model behind the wec so i question yeah it is a tough question um 
Yeah, I, I'm going to say no, um, and part of the reason I'm going to say no is because the WEC isn't necessarily in the position where it can relinquish the broadcast product um in a in a without without having to people having people pay for it and this is something i talk about a, a fair bit when comparing say um imsa or lms broadcast to the wec broadcast product and that is the broadcast product and that is where i think again this is pure speculation i know nothing about the 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 financial model of the wec but i would expect that getting people to pay for the broadcast results in a better broadcast product be it graphics be it like uh you know overlays be it commentators be it uh camera shots and that sort of stuff and replays i i think if you get more people to pay for the broadcast it enables you to do, to do more things with the broadcast and i look at the yeah. comparison between the wc and the aco broadcast versus say imsa and while imsa is great for what it is as a free product um that's broadcast around the world to all the different markets i don't think as a broadcast product not saying anything about the commentary not saying anything about the information but as a broadcast product uh overall uh, i think the wc is a better product and I don't think you can sustain the quality of the broadcast without having people pay for the stream. Um, yep. it, it would be different if, for example, we went back to 2016 and the ACO said to the three factories that were in LMP1 and then the further f four factories further three factories that were in GTE Pro. Hey, if you want to broad, uh, help us broadcast your product and help us help use us for advertising, you should bankroll this and we get that same product. I think if we went back in time and did that, we might be able to sustain it. But I don't think in the current, current climate, you could do that. Yeah, I think for just, for just to round that off, it's like I find it easier to share uh, an ELMS product or a, an SRO product that is accessible on youtube because i don't have to explain anything it's just send a link hey you can watch this yeah okay that's fair on, on your on your on your tv you can easily cast it onto your tv whatever um whereas if i want to talk to a friend about or a colleague about WEC, it's going to have to be oh well then you need to download this app then you need to subscribe to this app with this payment and then you get to watch it yeah or you wait uh, a month and then you get to watch it back you know it's it's easier it's it's easier to get over that hump of them then becoming interested in it you know yeah it's a it's a it's a, an extra bit of faff it's a barrier mm. um and so, it's yeah. and it's an accessibility problem um in that respect yeah and that's that's not necessarily an easy problem to solve and i'll fully admit you know had i not stolen the stream essentially i'm gonna out myself here had i not been given an opportunity to steal my way into watching the 2014 season i probably wouldn't have kept watching wec because it was too big a barrier for me at that time but because i was able because i was because someone was generous enough to give me their streaming detail so i could watch alongside with them uh on two separate devices uh that i was able to watch that season which is why i then became the super fan that i am now so i, I yeah it's it's one of those damned if you do damned if you don't kind of things um because you don't want to be exclusive 
and shut people out but on the other hand being exclusive enables you to do more things with it i don't know it's a really difficult question it's really difficult to answer because there are so many different um points of view that are justifiable yeah you know like you just mentioned but yeah anyway thanks for indulging me no no problem Uh, and i'll I'll just uh, again another tack on to that uh, conversation um i think the fact that they had such high profile names makes it uh you want to reduce that barrier to entry as much as possible so that way you can get a cast as wide a net as possible especially for you know what we'll call an exhibition event which this is you know Le Mans isn't really an exhibition it's you know the pinnacle whereas you you call this more of an exhibition of hey look at what we can do and in that situation I think yeah having it as easy to watch as possible is probably the better um, whereas with Le Mans, because it is so prestigious, you can almost, you know, ramp up the the yeah. the cost of that. The, the virtual is is a lost leader, mm, whereas yep. the the real life thing is where you make your money. Yeah, exactly, basically. exactly right. Um, we should actually talk about the race in some respect, though, shouldn't we? <laughs> We've talked about the context. We talked about you know uh, what it means for for the the ACO and what it means for fans and all that sort of stuff. We haven't actually talked that much about the race, have we? Um, and the last section of the race was what I really wanted to talk about because that was the only real section I tuned in for, and it was because you told me exactly what was going to happen, and it played out exactly as you expected. Well, there were there were there were two options. There were there were two ways it was going to happen. And the one hand was the the number one rebellion was going to have to make another pit stop and do a splash and dash. But then the pit stop time was very similar to the gap to second place, which was the Bicolis. And the Bicolis managed to eke out their fuel a bit longer, such that a uh, considering a a stint length would take normally about 35 minutes in the game. They had timed it. So their last stop was about 30, was pretty much bang on 35 minutes to go. Whereas the rebellion was 37 minutes to go. So it was kind of, oh, uh, the rebellion's probably going to be either a on fumes and is going to be doing maximum fuel save and m- loads of lift and coast and therefore turning slower lap times and not being able to then fend off the bicolis or they're going to have to go full gas and then do a splash. But then you've got the risk of, you know, being slow in taking time at pit lane speed limiter yeah. kind of thing uh, and stationary in the pit box. Um, it was exciting. It was, was nail biter. Yeah. You know, we had the, we had the live timing up. We had, we were checking out each lap, like how, how the gap changed and ebbed and flowed. Then there was the, the, the wingman as it were with the, 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 the teammate of the leader, the rebellion. Mm. Uh, there was another rebellion car in the mix that was trying to slow down and hold back the the Bicolis, which was in third at that point, um, and charging through. Um, yeah, I think it, I thought it was really exciting because there was there was so many ways that could have pl- played out when the Bicolis was third. You know, they they still had to get past the the second rebellion which they eventually did with a wicked pass in the porsche curves oh yeah that was crazy wow around the outside Um, in the porsche curves yeah it 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 was really 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 good you know um and it's something that that it felt reminiscent of a four-hour lmp2 race Mm. you know how the 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 mix-up of strategies that a four-hour format allows with the the pits the the stint lengths of modern lmp2s 
you know, you've got the, oh, maybe they do a splash. Normally, they the, the, the four-hour events for context, if people don't normally know, it comes out to a splash and dash at the end. And it's how long these cars are going to be stationary. And it all evens out after the last pit stops. So you're kind of not, not quite sure. You can have an indication because, like, how hard they've been pushing, that sort of thing. Or if there's any safety it all cars. Comes down to, yeah, yeah. And it just comes right down to the end. And... I can't remember the exact time gap, but it was really close. And the Rebellion winner eventually had 0.5 litres of fuel left to do the cool down lap. Like it passed the line with less than a litre of fuel in the tank and then eventually had to be pushed back around the cool down lap by the competition, basically. And it was really, yeah, it was, it was absolutely tense. It was kind of reminiscent. The one, the, the one that springs to mind for me was like, for example, the Fuji 2016 race where you have those two different strategies, one car that's hobbled, but with track position, the other car that's charging back and trying to do the, uh, do the overtake charge through at the end. And yeah, at the end of the, at the end of the race, it was 18 seconds, uh, that was separating the rebellion and the bicolors, um, yeah, it, it was actually quite tense and quite enjoyable. I was very well impressed with how that race ended. Um, and it felt like a, 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 a real Le Mans in that sense. You know, the buzz around the community in the chat room, people tracking the times, people discussing what was happening, and then the build-up to the finish. It felt like the real deal. And I think the the serendipity to, to bring that finish to life probably did a lot to make that event, you know, resonate at the end. You know, had it been a race where the leader had finished two laps ahead or a lap ahead and there wasn't really a competition i think it might have been forgotten about but people will remember that finish for a long time and as a result they'll remember the race and they'll remember the production for a long time as well uh in saying that though by collars and rebellion uh how ironic is it that those were the two teams fighting for a chance to win at the end well yeah and uh, and williams by collars got got pole position as well <laughs> yeah which was like whoa ridiculous it, it it kind of did feel a bit weird and then when you <laughs> have that back to back with like toyota gazoo racing who have arguably the best drivers in the real uh competition how they were kind of limping around now that that is obviously because they hardly used professional sim racers yeah and they, they that kind of highlights the gap but yeah they they really hit the nail on the head with their pro drivers the real world drivers and the pro sim drivers you know they they got really good teams by collis was kind of off the cuff with how they ran their their entry you know co- cobbling together some sim races to go with some real world races whereas the williams was you know a professional outfit um a pro sim team yeah it was a bit weird to see those <laughs> names at the front, but I'm, I would rather have it that way than have uh, a Red professional sim team yeah. name being at the front. Because, you know, like I mentioned with the drivers, I also connect with the, the with liveries the yeah. and the, the team names and having real world team names at the front maybe helped as well with getting excited about the finish. Yeah, I, I I definitely agree. The fact that it was two teams that will compete in the LMP1 class of Le Mans this year 
chasing down the win uh definitely made it resonate more with me it felt like it was a yeah a wec race that was on a simulator not a simulated race that happened to be the 24 hours of le mans um but it was good racing in the end and yeah a, a quite a bit of a nail biter now a discussion question i wanted to pose to you and for the people who are in our live chat feel free to add points if, as you see fit a did it work and b will this become a regular fe- feature will we have an aco sanctioned 24 of 24 hours of le mans virtual in conjunction or alongside or before or after uh the real 24 hours in the future so i went into this uh i think the same way you would have in or that you did have rather um i didn't really have any expectation um i just went into it thinking okay it's something to watch you know it was just to fill a gap in my weekend and you know to kind of make do with not going there that weekend for the real thing kind yeah of thing um and i think that's why i enjoyed it so much was because i had no expectation going into it so anything would be a win i think it was it was a success i think they did they did it right it felt right um with how it worked you know it 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 felt like they struck a nice balance with everything but you know whether they can do it again i'm not i'm not so sure the vacuum in real world racing kind of made this happen yeah. as it were and made it so good and also we wouldn't be talking about all of the um legends tuning in as much if this happened again alongside real world 24 hours of Le Mans, yeah, they would be in town if it was happening at the same weekend, but they would be preoccupied like CPX posted in chat just now, you know, the real world drivers and the real world legends are going to be a bit busy during the real life 24 hours of Le Mans. But also you've got so many clashes. You've got so many series week every weekend now on the calendar is so busy getting these real world racing drivers to do this kind of event across the grid you know it will probably never be able to happen again yep so this this kind of event will probably therefore never happen again and it will probably be more 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 way more aligned with across the scale of sim race so or or pro sim race so you're going to have the pro sim racing teams you're going to have the pro sim racing drivers and like i mentioned before to someone like me i would be less inclined to tune in to that because it's going to be more of a different piece of content to something that i would prefer to spend my time on and having it side by side with the 24 hours of le mans i'm not going to spend my time because i'm already burning out you know, yeah watching the the full thing you know getting diving headfirst into all of that because there's the grid is huge you know yeah. and the driving the all the storylines across the grid of the real life thing is enough to you know 24 7 fill someone's time yeah um there is a an existing le mans esports series but i've never watched it i've got to be honest i know i think it happens at le mans during the Le Mans week 
but I've never really seen it. Yeah. I've never, I don't know who's taking part. So, you know, it does exist already, but it, maybe if they bumped it up and, you know, pushed, put a big push behind it and they have the side by side kind of thing, or maybe during um, Passage, you know, the, the scrutineering, you would have the, the, the virtual, or, or yeah. maybe the, the test day, the Le Mans test day weekend, you would have the, the race, the, the virtual 24 hours. Maybe that could work. But yeah, it, I, don't, I don't think this, this kind of thing will happen again uh, in the same format because yeah. it was just kind of a product of the world we're in or were in, you know, yeah. um, before racing comes back. Yeah, I would tend to agree. To, to answer my first point, yes, it absolutely did work. Yes, it got, it, it filled a Le Mans weekend that I was very sorely missing. And I feel, I, I from what you've said, it sounds like you were sorely missing it as well. But I, 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 you're right. I don't think it can happen again like this um, because you're simply not going to get a hundred professional drivers at least to fill these teams in this sort of way. Um, there are, you know, a bunch of professional drivers who do spend their spare time sim racing. We've mentioned a bunch of them already, but I'll also add, for example, like Nikki Team to that list as well because they do uh, compete. Some yep. of them do compete in the iRacing 24 Hours Le Mans, the, the, you know, the Sim Series 24 Hours Le Mans, uh, which is the weekend after. But I don't think you can get a fully produced event run by the ACO, run by the WEC, with the same commentary, with the same race direction, with the same teams and drivers in that way ever again. I, I I think you're right. It's a product of this world that we've been dealt in 2020, where we have a lot of sports people and a lot of people, for that matter, with a lot of spare time on their hands and itching for something to do. Um, it's it's a very interesting, as we'll call it an exhibition event. I, I used that word earlier. As as an exhibition event, as a one off, it was phenomenal. They did a fantastic job with it. Um, but yeah, it is almost the more you try and do it the the almost the more it would become dilute in that sense and there's no way you there's no way you could end ever get a a race that wanted to take itself in any sort of seriousness uh, a sim race that ran alongside the 24 hours of Le Mans. there would just be no way that that would ever ever happen so yeah it's yeah it, it it's I don't think it's comparable to the real thing. Certainly didn't feel like the real thing, but it got close. Um, and for this year, it got close enough, I think. Yeah, I, I think, like I mentioned, they they hit they got a good balance. They, yeah. I think they, they hit the nail on the head, as it were, and it filled a vacuum. And um, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, uh, and you know what? you know what convinced me the most? That it actually did its job? Well, the, the fan engagement. Oh, like that was fine. Um, I was okay the with community. the fan engagement there. The community engagement in here, yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, 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 in here. But for me personally, it did something that I've only ever experienced at Le Mans when watching Warm. The post Le Mans depression was real. <laughs> I still felt yeah. that afterwards. I still felt like a little, a little burnt out, but like a happy burnt out, and it lasted like for two or three days. I was trying to. I was sitting there on Tuesday, being like, "Why do I feel so burnt out?" It's like, "Oh yeah, because I watched Le Mans over the weekend." Yeah, just trying to unpack everything yeah. gradually. It exactly. 
and 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 yeah i don't get that feeling with daytona i don't get that feeling with nurburgring i don't even get that feeling with bathurst it's a completely different feeling at bathurst most of which is just like oh i gotta travel back home but yeah the the post le mans unpacking still happened and and i think that for me was a sign that the virtual event did a good enough job to fill the void so i'll pay that i'll, I'll absolutely pay that yeah, so, and by the way, there was also a GT class, Porsche one, because they <laughs> had the Porsche iRacing sponsored pro uh, players, and also Nick Tandy as well, which was hilarious. Um, BOP. <laughs> yes, because BOP in R Factor 2 was a big issue. Um, I gotta say, the, Cor- <laughs> the Corvette team and the Aston Martin team, um, especially for the Corvette team who had a bit of an incident with an LMP2 car, uh, earlier on the race to recover and finish second was actually quite impressive but yeah it was fully expected that porsche were going to win gte and they did what they did so congratulations to porsche they took it it pro like they they got this the i think they 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 had a team of 30 people i think they said nick tandy said on an interview he had like of their real life professional engineers and strategists and data engineers and people they, like that they at, at oh they don't porsche don't do anything by heart they didn't no they don't <laughs> and, and yeah and it shows yeah exactly and exactly right and i think no matter what porsche do they always go the full the full neck deep in so they did they did well and they thoroughly deserve the victory and nick tandy can very proudly say that he's the only current driver who has a 24 hours of le mans overall victory and a virtual 24 hours of Le Mans class victory so well done Nick Tandy he was very excited in the post-race interview that they went to enough virtual talk there's real racing next week well there's real racing now but there's real sports car racing next well there's real sports car racing already but no there's real IMSA racing next week we're we're back the the ACO or the sorry the the worldwide uh sporting umbrella has its almost top level racing finally starting up next week uh, so yeah, it's a two hour and 40 minute race at Daytona, um, which I think will be the first non 24 hour race using the road course since for a the, very long time, since the, yeah. since the 80s, since the seventies or eighties or something. Um, yeah, which you, yeah, cause I've never actually seen a race at the Daytona road course that wasn't the 24 hours of Daytona. So this will be very interesting. Well, it's going to feel like a, a prototype challenge, uh, uh, not well, and M- MPC like you know yeah. the, where you got the GT fours and you've got the the TCRs, um, whatever class. I don't, I don't care. <laughs> it's TCR, yeah, TCR and GT four is the Michelin Pilot Challenge. Uh, but yeah, it'll be it, it'll be an interesting way to return to racing. Well, I mean, it'll be also two consecutive. Uh, rounds for the IMSA Championship at Daytona, which I don't think they've ever done two rounds at adjacent rounds at the same track before. Then never mind the four month wait in between the pair of them. But another interesting thing to note is that it's going to be the first time that IMSA has raced in America over the Fourth of July weekend for I think a number of years. Because what tends to happen is they do the last weekend in June is the six hours of the Glen, and then they have the next week after that is most sport which is generally fourth of july weekend so actually actual american patriotism in america for a change <laughs> say hello yes. all the americans in the chat we're gonna have a brilliant national anthem we're gonna have 
loads of jets flying over. We're going to have army demonstrations everywhere. <laughs> it's going to be hand on heart across the crowd that won't be there. And... I think I think they're letting in oh. two thousand people. I think there are a not insignificant number of tickets being sold to this event because I remember seeing uh, Cookie Monster uh, saying on his Facebook that he was going to both Daytona and Sebring this year, and then ah, yes. and then Sebring in friggin' November as well because of course he is bloody bastard. Yeah, so are, are you ex- endure living in? He has to endure living in Florida. Though, That's so. true. Yeah, so you know, if you have if you have to live in Florida, I guess you know there has to be some perks, right? Um, <laughs> uh, we're just roasting America, and none of the the Americans are even on the podcast to stop us. This is great. Um, there are a few important notes though with uh, Daytona. Firstly, the entry list. Uh, has taken a major hit, not so much in the prototype uh, and GT Le Mans classes, because of course they're pro-funded and pro-run, so they're they're the factories running those, and you know the way that the factory makes money is by marketing, and that's how they're going to do that. Um, but especially in GTD, there has been some massive, massive uh, hits to the entry list. So. Uh, Remember, it's also the start of the Sprint Cup season as well, so there is a kind of a changeover in that between the Endurance and Sprint Cup. Um, So that means that we do have entries coming in from Compass Racing in the McLaren 720S, uh, Gradient Racing running an Acura, um, and then Rick Ware Racing and PPM. uh, Who's PPM? Oh wait, no. Sorry. Uh, these are the these are the uh, entries that haven't made it. So Compass and Gradient Racing are going to be there now. Rickware Racing and I don't know who PPM are. But the important thing uh, is this uh, about this is that uh, they're not going to be there. So they announced that they're going to be there uh, to bring cars in. It was going to be Audi and Lamborghini. They're not. They've fallen through, and then a second right Motorsports Porsche has fallen through as well. Um, so. That's uh, including the loss of the Paul Miller Racing Lamborghini and the Gear Racing Lamborghini, which if you've missed that news, Gear Racing are basically pulling out of running the Lamborghini in IMSA. So that's with the the all-female lineup, um, which is now currently looking for another team to run it. Uh, So there's actually going to be one... Uh, one Huracan in the GTD field, which will be the the grass. Uh, sorry, the Magnus Racing team. Um, also, Path Motorsports aren't going to be there because they're from Canada and they can't get down to to Florida. And Heart of Racing Aston Martin aren't going to be there as well. So, in total, comparing the GTD class from Daytona to the GTD class at Daytona. I'll check that. Comparing the 24-hour entry list to the uh, three-hour entry list, it's 12 cars in uh, in GTD for this race, and I'm going to find how many cars were at the last Daytona race because I have a feeling it was something like 23. So it's it's a massive difference in entries in the GTD class. Yeah, it it kind of a, a sign sign of the times, isn't it? Uh, with with where we're at in the world at the moment, because that's a huge reduction in entries. Yeah, I think uh, there are there are several factors. You know, like you mentioned with the the international travel, uh, we've got teams across North America that have to travel to Daytona. So you've got 
the border between Canada and the United States of America that I believe is still closed. So FAF are stuck and yeah. beached the, the wrong side of the border for Daytona. Um, but you've also got the, the, the drivers and the team members and mechanics and strategists and whatever um, coming from all over the world um, to make sure that they're there to race. And if you've got a paying AM in GTD that can't make it across, the, the entry probably won't be racing because, you know, they're there that what they're paying for is that they they want to get the drive yeah and if they're not getting the drive then the, the entry is not going to happen but also the the teams any oems that are backing potentially the teams they are pretty running low on money right now and to reduce the expenditure you're going to reduce the number of races and that's just taking a hit yeah yeah, uh, and that's as I as I made mention. It's just a bit of a sign of where we are at the moment because you can't really run a race team if there's no one bringing the money in for it. Uh, and not only uh, the the pro the AM drivers, uh, you know, funding the teams, but most of these AM drivers are have their own businesses and their own, uh, you know, the the way that they make their money is being uh, affected as well. And I mean. It does sound a little insensitive to say that this pandemic has re- certainly reduced the number of race teams that are going to be around the world because the lack of AM drivers when, you know, uh, sorry, lack of people being able to fund teams, AM drivers being able to fund teams when, you know, people around the world have lost loved ones, lost ways of life, lost careers, etc., um, and you know, I'm kind of sorry for saying that, but if we just focus on just the, the, the sports car side of things and ignoring the rest of it, we're going to be going through a very lean time, uh, in terms of maybe even grid sizes and participation in top level series around the world, just simply because of uh, what's going on and the run on effects of that. Um, on the other hand, I'm sure there's other AM drivers who have done very well and have managed to make money from this. So it's it's, it's a full mixed bag. But yeah, a, I think it's a eight or nine car reduction in GTD field, um, which at Daytona is probably going to make the traffic seem like an absolute breeze in comparison to what it was. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. You know, it would still be a bit of a mess if they were all close together in a train yeah you know that'll still be pretty difficult to pass but and and also i want to pose another question to you with this is you know could this be a a benefit for the lmp2 class being potentially cheaper to buy a seat as it were so if you've got an am in in gtd that's running a bit low with their business profits and whatever or their personal wealth maybe moving to lmp2 might be a cheaper option to them and still keeps them racing and fuels their addiction but more reasonably co- uh, cost efficient as it were um so yeah. why, why would it... this could be a benefit for p2 um i'm not sure maybe in in europe um it might be a bit more applicable because you have a very healthy P2 class already, which means that you're, uh, I don't know. 
Honestly, I, I couldn't say either way, because uh, the question I would have is, why would you want to, want to run P2? If you're going to run prototypes in America, you're probably better off running a uh, prototype challenge and, and a P3 car, um, because yep. a, a P2, I don't think there is the logistical support to offset the cheap, potentially cheaper running costs. Because um, part of the reason that LMP2... Part of the reason I think LMP2 is cheaper in Europe is because you have that logistical support basically everywhere. Whereas if there's only two cars in America that are running in P2, it, there's not really going to be that much logistical support, I don't think. Why, 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 why would running a P2 car be cheaper than a GTD, do you think? Well, I don't know. It's, I think it's, it's um, cost-effective, potentially. In terms of, you know, if you were having to help provide funding for that OEM to pay for the manufacturing um, ah, yeah, marketing good point. fee. Good point. Um, like, for example, take, for example, Compass Racing with yeah. the McLaren. Now, I don't know the the balance of funding or whatever of how this works. But if you were, let's say, the only GTD of an OEM, like uh, like um, compass racing compass racing are with the mclaren if the amateur was helping fund that in the business model and the funding structure it would make more sense to me to become an amateur in a lmp2 team that you might be sharing the load with another amateur yeah. in a more potentially cost effective car you know LMP2, yes, it is very expensive, but it is still surprisingly cost-effective for a way to get up to speed uh, in motorsport, in top-level motorsport. Um, well, IMSA top-level, but um, <laughs> just going to keep keep firing we, the we've gone, Yeah, we've 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 already com- uh, commented on that. Um, but yeah, I, I think maybe you know it could be a you... good, not necessarily a good thing, but it could be. Um, a little spark that LMP2 needed in the over in the states to kind of regrow yeah. after the DPI class bit. Yeah. Um I don't know. You you certainly raise a good point that the the manufacturer buy in to IMSA is not insignificant. It is a I think it's something in the realms of a million dollars or around about that to represent a new manufacturer, and part of that is money. Uh, part of that is marketing money. Part of that is uh, anal- an analysis, data analysis, BOP fees, and then a part of that is um, activation. Um, so if you are, for example, Compass Racing and the sole car for that manufacturer that could, as you said, coming be coming out of the the customer's pocket. Yeah, whereas or, uh, if you wanted to run an Orica or a Ligier or even, you know, maybe jump on board a more popular manufacturer say a porsche or an audi or hey lamborghini's got a bunch of spares now that no one's going to be using maybe if you wanted to jump into a lamborghini you could you could potentially do that um so yeah you you raise a good point um the the thing is i don't see i i still don't see p2 as an attractive product in in America, that's the thing. That's the thing that that's the stopping point for me uh, as a as a product, as a racing product, as a uh, and not after in terms the class of, split. 
Yeah, after class bit definitely. Yeah. Um not not pre class bit. Pre pre class bit, you know, in the days of Core Auto Sports and exactly. um yeah, that and uh the banana boat and the the red dragon, you know, that was that was that was peak IMSA. But after the class split, there is no it's not a good racing product. I don't mean that as a viewing product. I mean that as a, a participation product. Um, you know, I don't think a, you know, I don't think a Ben Keating really wants to be beating around a bunch of chiropractors every weekend. Um, <laughs> is that too mean? <laughs> I mean, you got dentists as well. Oh, okay. That makes it okay then. <laughs> Chiropractors aren't okay, but beating around dentists is great fun. Um, yeah, but you know, you know what I mean. It it, it doesn't seem to have a you know a tr- an attractive competitive product to to bring people bring amateurs in. Like why why would you run P two even if it costs a hundred grand, two hundred grand less for a season when you could run a recognizable GT car against a highly competitive field it's yeah i don't know i, I it, if i had the money i wouldn't do it uh if i was in the states um in europe yeah, though, it's an entirely different to, story if you, yeah if you wanted to brag to your mates though as well you're at the golf club or wherever you waste your time as a really rich person um you want if you want to brag about it being in a ferrari or a lamborghini or whatever is pretty accessible and understandable to your other filthy rich friends. <laughs> so yeah, yeah you, you can't you can't really tap make... tap someone on the shoulder and go, "Hey, you want to check out my Orica after this?" <laughs> Slow down. <Whoa. laughs> oh, brilliant. Okay, where were, where were we going with this? Uh, you don't want to know. Yeah. Okay. Um... Real, Real racing is back. By the way, guys, real <laughs> racing is back. Do you want to remind people who are, who are in these teams um, for these events? Because it's been, what, the 24 hours of Daytona, which was the last race, was literally five months ago. Five months ago yesterday. Um, Jesus. Yeah. So, there's... Uh, who, are, who are even in these teams anymore? So, DPI is still uh, Mustang Sampling, uh, which is now JDC Miller Motorsports. Um, because, remember, we've had the split of Action Express where they're only running the 31 car. Um, which is now the the Brazilian effort because it's got Felipe Nasser and Pipo Durrani behind the wheel, um, and so JDC Miller are running running a basically a pro car and an AM car nowadays. So they've got Balbosa and Bordet in one car. They have got the double Bs, um, and then Chris Miller and Tristan Vortier in the other car. Um, you've got the two cars from Mazda. Uh, interestingly, no Timo Bernhard and uh, no. Who am I looking for? Brenton Hartley for those guys anymore. So they're the drivers that have been lopped off uh, from the endurance uh, group yeah. and also, you know, probably can't get into the country at the moment. Um, and then uh, the Conakin and Minolta team of Van der Zander and Ryan Briscoe. So no Taylor at all because uh, Jordan Taylor is now with Corvette Racing, of course. See, this is why it's good to go back and have a look at these entry lists, because I have no idea where half of these people are driving anymore. Um, and and then the two Penske cars, which haven't changed uh, all that much. Uh, GTLM has no Reese, which is entirely unsurprising, uh, considering the circumstances. And it is just going to be Corvette, BMW, and Porsche. Um, we did... 
we did comment earlier on in the year that Porsche are pulling out of GTLM in IMSA competition, right? We did say that. Did I th- think so? But still, it is you know that's pretty big news. Really a big, big move. Yeah. yeah, and that kind of spells almost the death knell of GT Le Mans. I don't think GT Le Mans can really exist if it's just Corvette and BMW. Like, yeah, and the BMW team, yes, they are successful and they do perform well. It is, you know, it is incomparable when you look at the likes of Porsche mm. and and how professional that outfit is. Um, yeah, it it is going to be a tough time ahead in for the GTLM class. Um, we might have to look at doing an investigation into what the current GT worldwide situation is at the moment, because that is a absolute can of beans at the moment. Can of bean worms. It's a mixing metaphors. It's a can of wormy beans. Can of jumping beans. <laughs> yes, and this might be the uh, uncorking of the of um, the can of beans. Can. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, brilliant. Um, and then finally, GTD, we've got two Lexi, Lexi, Lexuses from Ambassador Sullivan's, Lexuses, um, a single Porsche from Wright Motorsport, uh, Acuras from Gradient Racing, um, which is a team I've not heard of before, uh, and then the Heinrich Curb uh, with MSR, Curb Adgejejean, um car uh, uh two of those so uh we'll see uh those two cars out on track the 57 the 86 that we're used to uh audi is represented only once by team hardpoint um which again is a team i've never heard of before oh uh, team yep yep we've we've mentioned the single hurricane run by a grt magnus um a single Ferrari run by Scuderia Corsa, a single Mercedes run by Rally Motorsport, a single McLaren run by Compass Racing, and a single BMW run by Turner Motorsport. So the only multiple car, multiple car manufacturers on the grid are the Lexus and the Acura, which does not compute. That, that, that it's there's something. Well, I mean, obviously there's something weird with this class considering where we are, but. If I was to tell you, you know, in January that, oh, by the way, the next time we have IMSA racing, we're going to have a single car from most GTD manufacturers. Like, that it, that sounds ridiculous. I think that's the most diverse and most uh, most diverse yet smallest GTD field we've ever had. Especially when you compare it to the NLS that happened yesterday, where you've got, you know, so many Porsches, so many BMWs, so many Mercedes you've got this kind of onslaught of GT3 cars. And the same thing we're going to have with um, GT World Challenge across the world, you know, and, and IGTC. You've got all of these, this strength in depth. And if you tell someone that there's only going to be one Porsche GT3, it's going to be like, what? What? You know, A single Porsche? It, yeah, it doesn't make, it, it, it makes sense, but it kind of still feels a bit thin on the ground. Yeah. Um, and you know it's it's a strength it's a testament to gtd's competitive strength that we're saying that a 12 car field is a lean field a 12 car field for basically any class is amazing a 12 car field in wec is ridiculous 
but we're saying that a 12 car field here in gtd is lean like it, it's a testament to how strong the gtd field has been for so long that we're worried about its depth when we have a class larger than any wec class that has ever been yes cool I'm glad you agree um any final notes uh before we wrap it all up oi uh, gear racing that's unfortunate uh that they've cut ties with grasser um recently i think yeah. last week um Ooh, very recently un- yeah that's unfortunate and and then i don't know if it's tied to but it might be tied to the whole beer figueredo embezzlement issue um there's a beer figueredo embezzlement issue yes her i think it was her husband and father-in-law have been arrested and she's under investigation in brazil and they've as a family embezzled like over 118 million dollars from the brazilian government wow yes (laughs) i Um, completely missed that so bia figueredo formerly racing with the name anna beatrice yes and um yes i don't know if this is connected um so that means that they are not going to be running the lamborghini anymore because that's run by grt but then this makes me think does this put their le mans entry in doubt or are they shifting funds from imsa to the 24 hours of le mans entry or you know um is the funding coming from this embezzlement money i don't know um could they be because they're running a ferrari i think in uh, gt pro now in yes at le mans because they could they find... be then yeah exactly would would they be then taking this ferrari and converting it into gt3 because they aim to return by the end of the imsa season to gtt gtd um could they be maybe trying to do that i wow yeah that's huh just a just a shower thought you know (laughs) pretty pretty extensive shower thoughts man you must have long showers um (laughs) what's wrong with me tonight i am so weird yeah, I, I, I completely that news had completely blown by me. I knew that there was a split between Gear, gear and Grasser, and I'm trying to find uh, more information on that now. But yeah, I completely missed missed all of that. Um, so yeah, wow. Okay, that's 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 certainly news. Yeah, yeah, and it's a big shame because you know, I really want Gear to be a success and to even be associated with this sort of problems after only racing one race at daytona as gear um it's a shame and i don't want to see it yeah 100 percent, 100 percent agree also just briefly should mention there was uh further date changes and clarifications for the IMSA championship so they've i think brought yes. uh a bunch of the events forward one week including vir watkins Glen, uh and lime rock uh, and this is important because it avoids a clash between the six hours of the Glen and the planned Intercontinental GT Challenge race at Indy is where it is now. Um, so it, it basically means that um, we're, there's now a, a gap in the schedule between Lime Rock and uh, IGTC and then... Uh, 
and the reason that they're doing Lime Rock is because apparently Lime Rock is right next to Watkins Glen in relative terms um, before uh, Laguna and Laguna Seca has been pushed back to the penultimate round of the season. So a little bit of rejigging as is been painfully aware, uh, painfully obvious throughout this time. A lot of the championships are running by the seat of their pants in terms of where things are going. Um, for example, supercars have just changed their entire calendar for the second half of the year again as well. So we'll have more clarity as time goes on, but I just want to say, holy damn, it is so nice to have racing back. It's so nice. I will never take sport and racing even just to sit down and watch i will never take that for granted again after this this four-month layoff yeah it 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 makes you appreciate um when the races are on like i mentioned that the nls came back and had its round one i think of 2020 the other day in june in the end of june it felt really comforting yes Um, that's a great word to use yeah comfort to have that um it was gezellig. Yes. And translation for those who don't speak Flem? Not Flemish. It can't be translated. <laughs> it's like, it's like uh, what is it, in Denmark or Swedish? Or, well, it's all the same, really, isn't it? Ooh, um, I think you just... I think you, by, by conflating Denmark with any Scandinavian country, I think you just offended yeah. a lot of people. Is it, is it Hugger or something like that? That's, like, comfy and snuggly and cosy. Um <laughs> Yeah, we need to. It's we need to. It, it is, and honestly, uh, we had uh, the supercars uh, finish off their first round back today, and just seeing the cars on track, seeing everything, having having racing, proper racing back again. As much as we've you know said that the virtual mon was a great thing, and we very much enjoyed it, and it filled a a time slot. Well, sorry, filled an event slot that was meant to be Le Mans. As much as it's been good to have that, there is just not. It's just not quite the same as having racing back again you know it's it's just been very very nice to just get back and it like yeah i don't know i don't really know where where further i was going for it it's just it's just been nice it's been comforting it's been good after 107 days it's been good to have racing back in australia and next week racing around the world in america and then in subsequent weeks back in europe i i think we're only three weeks away as well from the paul ricard test for european le mans series and then they've got their european le mans series race that next weekend so it'll be it'll be back on before you know it it'll be back on before you know it and thank god for that and on that note i think it's time to end the show thank you very much ollie thank you for having me no problems uh once again follow us on twitter like us on facebook and subscribe to our new youtube channel i'm gonna be that obnoxious dude um thank you very much for listening thank you for sticking with us i hope we've been able to give you some decent content in the the massive hiatus of racing we have but yeah damn it's good to be back and it's good to have racing back again uh i've been michael zalavari thank you very much for listening peace out like subscribe and hit that bell hit that bell smash that bell baby I hate myself. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Welcome to the club. 
I feel gross. Oh shit, I gotta start the rewatch, don't I? I thought you were about to say start the recording. Jesus Christ, you gave me a heart attack. <laughs> you know, in the first season, <laughs> the first year that we did this, Cookie actually did that once. He did, oh. it, We did a like an hour and a half oh, podcast, hurts. and yeah, he forgot to press the record button. Even, even, oh, that that makes me sad and hurt. Even like ha- having no, being a. F- not affected by it one bit. It's yeah. Just the, the association of cringe. Yeah. Um, and it was to it, someone else. Oh. And like, even though it was like us shit tier in our like fourth or fifth episode, it was like, oh no.